The Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Well, folks, I am back. Uh, this is Fred Houston, your host of the Stone and Tile Show. And many of my followers out there who have been listening to my show are probably wondering, where the heck have I been this last, uh, God, I think it's been about a month since I've done a podcast. Uh, quite honestly, I've been busy. Uh, it's as simple as that. I mean, I've been flying all over the country looking at failures, and uh, it, it just seems to be getting busier and busier and busier. And for that reason, uh, I've decided to come back on the air here and kind of share with you guys some of the issues that I've seen out there. Some of them are quite unique. Uh, some of the uh, solutions to these problems are, are unique in itself. Or, and some of them are kind of classic examples of uh, some of the things I see out there in the stone and tile industry when it comes to uh, um, fabrication, installation, as well as restoration cases. Uh, but before we get there, a couple announcements, and that is – um, I, I know I've been posting on Facebook, LinkedIn, and uh, Lineable, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all those social media sites that uh, I'm really populating my website with a ton of free articles. I have got now, I think at last count, uh, about 165 articles that I've published on that on that website. Um, I've been pretty much doing about one a day, believe it or not. So there's there's quite a few in there. I'll probably exceed 200 in a very short period of time. But if you want to look at some of those articles, I cover everything in, in the stone and tile industry as well as some concrete industry stuff. Uh, I get into some design issues uh, for you interior designers and architects out there. Of course, I talk about failures. Uh, some of those are very scientific articles. You know, we talk about details, how mortars are, how thin set mortars work, uh, chemistry, some physics. So there's, there's a wide variety of articles on my website. And again, that website is stoneforensics.com. Okay, the second announcement is uh, my seminar coming up in uh, January next year out in uh, fabulous Las Vegas. Uh, it's my stone and tile troubleshooting and inspection class. It's always popular. Uh, I'm starting to get calls. People are signing up. And again, I limit these classes to a maximum of 10 people. So if you want to get into this class, uh, I would highly recommend it. Now, what we've also done this year, actually, we did it. Well, yeah, we did it this year. We're adding it again next year is uh, a quarry tour. Uh, I happened to find a meta quartzite quarry just outside of Las Vegas, about a 30-minute drive outside Las Vegas. And the uh, uh, the owners and the people out there, really nice people, uh, allowing me to come out there with a group of people. We actually tour the quarry. Uh, we tour their facilities because they, they fabricate everything right there from tiles to slabs to furniture to you name it. It's quite a few. It's quite, quite an interesting experience. And uh, a really, really beautiful material. So we've included that as part of my class. So that class now is now five days. 
with the quarry tour as opposed to four days. So again, if you want to sign up for that class, uh, go to my website, Stone Forensics, hit the training tab and you'll get some information on there. And if you want to sign up, either send me an email or call me directly. My email number, my email number, my email address is fhuston, that's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Now, what's unusual about my podcast is that it's not only a podcast, it's actually a live broadcast. So if you're listening now at 3.04 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday the 19th, I am live. This is not a re- not a recording. Uh, so you have an opportunity to call in and ask me a question if you want. Let me give you the call-in number. It is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. And I'll take just about any question uh, that you can throw at me when it comes to tile, stone, concrete, et cetera. If I don't know the answer, I'll make one up. No, I'm just kidding. If I don't know the answer, I'll tell you that, and I'll do some research, and I will find the answer uh, answer for you. And speaking of questions, uh, just before I got on the show, like about 15 minutes or so, I got a, uh, a, a an actually a voicemail from a friend of mine who had this question, which I, I knew the answer to, but I've never really addressed this question before, and uh, it was kind of interesting. And that is, does porcelain tile, when cutting porcelain porcelain tile, does porcelain tile contain the same amount of silica as cutting quartz? And the simple answer to that is, no, it doesn't contain the same amount of silica. The more complicated answer to that is, yes, it does contain silica. So let me run down some numbers for you here, give you a more complicated answer, if you will. Quartz surfaces, you know, your Cambria, your Zodiac, you know, your Silestone, all those materials contain probably about 93% silica, free silica, which is quartz. Um, granite is probably right around less than 45%. Porcelain tile is about 14 to 18%. Ceramic tile can be just as high and sometimes even higher depending on the type of clays. Concrete is around 30%. Now, here's the thing you have to remember. If Silicosis, and we've talked about this on previous shows, um, usually involves working with these materials, but on the long term. So if you're occasionally cutting a a porcelain tile or or anything that has silica in it and you're doing it once, now this is not medical advice, so don't take it as that, uh, probably not going to have an issue. It's the long-term exposure. The worker, you know, let's say you're an installer and you're cutting porcelain tile every single day and you're doing it dry and you're breathing that dust in day in, day out regardless of the amount of silica, whether you're dealing with a piece of quartz, which is 93%, or whether you're dealing with, uh, you know, a porcelain tile, which is, you know, 14 to 18%, you're still breathing in silica. So any amount of silica is an issue. As a matter of fact, I did one of the articles that I had done, I have done on my website, uh, came up with, uh, does uh, terrazzo contain silica? And yeah, it does. Why? Because it contains concrete. And if it's using granite chips as opposed to marble chips, it's going to even have a higher percentage of silica. But regardless of the amount of silica, it's the exposure to the silica dust. So how do you prevent that? You use a safety precaution. You use a proper PPE. You do it wet. So, you know, keep that in mind. Now, this person that sent me this thing said, well, it can, you know, doesn't ceramics and porcelain contain clay? Uh, I said, yeah, but clay also has a lot of free silica. 
And, and, and again, it depends on the type of clays that are used. And this is also true with concrete. You know, if you go across the country, different parts of the country will use different aggregates in their concrete. You know, you come down here in Florida, especially in South Florida, we're using a lot of shells. So it may have less silica in it than, say, uh, material up, up north in, say, Michigan, which uses probably granite, uh, which is going to have a higher concentration. So it's going to vary. And for that reason, ceramic tiles as well as porcelain tiles are going to vary in their silica content. The fact of the matter is they still contain silica. And if you're breathing that silica dust on a continuous basis, day in and day out, you're going to be exposed to that silica, free silica and you could come down with silicosis. So cut it wet, use the proper uh, PPE. So uh, that, that's my recommendation. Okay, so hopefully that answered your question. I will, person that sent me that, I will give you a call later to discuss further if you haven't, not listening to this, the show. Uh, if you have a question, again, 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. And again, I apologize uh, for the lack of doing these, these podcasts. It's just been, it's been crazy. But I do have, oh God, I think it's 170 podcasts out there on the archives, so uh, you can feel free to listen to all those. I've covered a wide range of topics, and it seems like, you know, I, I used to think I've been in this business 40-plus years, and uh, you know, I, I used to think, well, I'm going to run out of subject here one day, but I tell you, every single day is a whole new chapter, and it's like, oh, never thought of that, never thought of that. So with that said, let me go down some of the issues and some of the inspections that I've done, some of these uh uh, stories that I've done and uh, kind of walk you through how I've discovered the reason for the failure. And the first one has to do with not stone, not tile, similar, uh, but concrete pavers. And lately I've been dealing with a lot of concrete pavers, especially around pool decks uh, throughout the country, especially here in the, in the South. Uh, and this particular concrete paver, uh, was having a major efflorescence problem. And, you know, it, it's typical. Concrete, you know, concrete pavers in general have a tendency to efflorescence. But what happens is they efflorescence for a short period of time, and it goes away, and everybody's happy. But in this case, the efflorescence got really, really bad and lasted a really, really long time. The manufacturer of the paver called me, and they wanted me to go look at this particular, uh, particular paver and determine what's going on. So I walk onto the site. And, of course, this paver is probably, if I remember correctly, about two years old, and it's still efflorescing. So what that tells me, and without getting into a long, boring lecture about what efflorescence is, I know I've done that on the show before, is that there's an issue here somewhere. We have a source of salts, which is what efflorescence is, and we have a source of moisture. Well, this is outdoors, so we have rain. And, you know, that's typical. But, but again, generally what happens with most concrete pavers is the rain helps wash it away. And usually the salts that are in the concrete paver itself usually become depleted enough to where you don't see that efflorescence over a, a period of time. But this was a continuous problem. So basically, I pulled the paver up. I took a sample of the uh, sand, and this was a sand bed installation. Uh, those familiar with different installation types, in other words, it's basically compacted sand. The pavers are set in dry on top of the sand. Sand is used around the grout joints, et cetera. Uh, I took a, a sample of the sand as well as a sample of the efflorescence and went, went back to my lab. Did my normal, you know, 
dog and pony show when it comes to, you know, doing an, an inspection or whatever, and didn't promise anything until I got back to the lab to try to figure out what was going on. So I get back to the lab and I do a what what I call a a, a calcium test on the sand. And this is something you guys can do if you're ever in this situation. So how do you do that? Basically, what you do is you take the sand, you take a sample of sand, and you weigh it. And let's say I weighed out 20 grams, just for take a, a round number. No, let's take 10 grams. It's, that's an easier number to deal with. 10 grams of sand. I place it in the oven for a given period of time so it dries out. So all the moisture is dried completely out of that, out of that sand, and I weigh it again. So let's say I weigh it and I get 8 grams. There was 9 grams of moisture in there. And then what I do is I place the sand in an acid bath. And why do I do that? Because any calcium that's in that particular sand, and calcium is a salt, will be dissolved in the acid. So basically, I let it set. And of course, it'll if there's calcium present, it's going to start fizzing and bubbling. It's going to effervesce, not effloresce. Uh, it's going to effervesce until it's completely gone. You set that for a certain period of time. Take the sand out of the acid solution, you dry it again in the oven, and you reweigh it. And when I reweighed it, the actual content was a lot less. So say I started out with eight grams dry, and now I have five grams dry. Now, those aren't real numbers. I'm just making up numbers at this point. Um, that's three grams of calcium that were in that sand. Sand should not have calcium. Well, some sand does have calcium, but the sand they used has calcium. And that was the source of the of the salts, the source of the efflorescence. So, unfortunately, the solution to this is tear out the installation, tear out the sand, use the proper sand, and install new pavers. And unfortunately, this I see more and more, and it seems lately, a lot of my inspections have been have been pool decks, which brings me to the next pool deck inspection. So let me cross that one off my list here. This was a outdoor pool. Uh, it was a limestone pool, and it was elevated. In other words, you you had a, you walked off onto a deck, and there's a swimming pool there. And then on each side of the swimming pool, you had kind of a, a spiral staircase that went down to another level that kind of walked around the outside of the building. And this is way up on like the 50th floor. It's a condominium complex. Well, they were having water oozing out of this wall that lower level wall. And they were like, you know, hey, we, we must have a bad installation here, blah, 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 blah. And there were salts pouring out of this. You know, you get that heavy encrusted, you know, deposit of salts that, that you've all seen, you know, almost like stalactites uh, that occur. And um, I said, okay, so I'm, I'm looking at this particular uh, pool deck and looking at the installation. The installation appeared fine. I didn't see anything wrong. Of course, you ask all the common questions. You know, what setting mortar was used, how it was installed, blah, blah, blah. Everything seemed normal. And I noticed a small area on this coping on this wall where the leak, where the, the not the leak, but the water was coming from. And it was dripping like there was a source of water. So what do you think I did at this point? I'm like, well, this particular pool is a chlorinated pool. I'm wondering if I can detect any chlorine in this dripping water. Lo and behold, I take out my little pH test paper, which uh, if you guys don't have this, we go over this in quite, a, quite detail in my inspection class of how to determine 
uh, chlorine, pH, hardness, uh, and most importantly, nitrite and nitrates, which can determine whether a vapor barrier has been, been uh, compromised or not. Uh, but with that being said, I discovered that we had trace amounts of chlorine, which tells me what? It tells me the pool was leaking uh, or potentially leaking. So I said to the individuals that hired me, I said, uh, you need to have a pool guy come in here and check this pool to make sure it is not leaking. Well, we haven't had any complaints, they said. I said, well, I'm just telling you what I'm finding. I'm just, I'm, I'm here to report the facts. So there's another interesting case. Now, the solution to this problem was find a leak in the pool. Uh, if you can find a leak in a pool and you can repair it, uh, the leak should stop. And then you have to address, you know, has the, has the outside of the stone been ruined to the point where it can't be fixed? Can it be, you know, cleaned off and, and saved, you know, and, and that is unknown at at this particular particular point point in time. So really, really interesting. On that same project, a different issue, down on the bottom floor, there was an extensive amount of pavers, stone pavers, 12 by 12s and other various sizes, probably the largest being a 12 by 12 paver. And um, they were having some, some issues, again, with... Uh, with efflorescence, but it wasn't the efflorescence they were concerned with. They were overall concerned with the overall look of the material. It seemed to be, you know, dull and, and, and whatever. So I'm down there, I'm walking around, I'm walking around, and the first thing I notice is that the grout is missing. And again, this is a sand bed installation. In other words, paver set on top of dry sand. And generally, when you do this type of installation, you fill that, that grout with just loose sand. Uh, sometimes you use polymeric sand, what they call polymeric sand, which which tends to stick a little better than normal sand does. But regardless, the sand is missing. There is no sand there. So I'm wondering, okay, was sand originally put in here was one of the questions I asked. And the answer to that was, yeah, there was. I was like, well, where'd it go? Well, it must have been washed away by the rain. Okay, I uh, don't necessarily buy that because part of it was covered. And part of it was, um, most of it was uncovered, but part of it was covered. And even under cover, uh, the grout was missing. The sand was missing, I should say. Lo and behold, I'm walking around, I'm walking around. I turn the corner, and what do I see on this one section is I see pressure washer marks, as if someone had taken a pressure washer. And actually, one of those, um, I will forget what they call them, the, the little hood things that you take the little pressure washer and it kind of swirls around. It's a circular pattern. The, the name of it escapes me. Uh, but anyway, one of those. And I asked, is this thing cleaned? How is it cleaned? And lo and behold, they pressure wash it. So they were literally pressure washing uh, the grout out. So, again, the fix to that was to stop pressure washing it. There was no need to pressure wash it at that that high of pressure. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. The number is 323-870-3968 and we'll be back right after this. Thank you, Tough Skin, one of our gold sponsors. Marble etches and stains. Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Tough Skin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with a proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. 
People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Tough Skin Surface Protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F skinprotection.com to learn more. All righty, folks, we're back. I want to switch gears a little bit here. Uh, Let me give the number out one more time if you're listening live, 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. If you are listening to this in a podcast and not listening to it live and you still want to send me a question, uh, feel free to send me an email, fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Now, this this next issue came up, and actually I did an article on this just recently and also published it on my website, and that is when it comes to standards versus guidelines. And, you know, what what is a true standard and what is a guideline and where where do they apply? And I think I titled this thing ANSI versus other standards or, or, or something like that. All the manuals that we have in our industry. And when I mean all the manuals, not all the manuals, but let me, let me just name them. The TCNA installation guidebook and the dimensional uh, stone manual from the natural stone Institute are not standards per se. They are what we call guidelines. And each one of those manuals has right in their beginning and their introduction that says these are guidelines and they could vary from geographical region, whatever the, the, the legal, legal terminology is. What a true standard is, a true standard would be by ANSI. Now, I know that TCNA refers to ANSI and that that's a good thing, but those are actual standards. Um, so, from, you know, I, I do a lot of expert witness work and this question comes out quite often as to, uh, you know, what is the standard for that? Is that standard? And I, I just had one recently, and it recently was a, a shower that was installed in Florida, and they didn't waterproof the shower walls. And lo and behold, if you look at some of the standards uh, for waterproofing shower walls, and I could be wrong here, and if I'm wrong, definitely call me, let me know, send me an email, uh, there isn't a standard for waterproofing. What this installer said is, well, we're using whatever it was, Wonderboard, Hardyboard, and that's waterproof. It's not. If you if you look at it, I think it was Wonderboard. But if you looked at their website, it will tell you right on there that it's water resistant and not waterproof. Not only that, he didn't tape the uh, the, the 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 joints at all on on the board. So it became a real issue from a legal standpoint. As that, you know, where's the standard? You know, where's the standard that says that this has to be taped? Where's the standard? So how I got around that, as I said, what do you look, what do you abide by? Do you abide by the standard? The, and in this case, the ANSI standard. Do you abide by the recommendation in the, in the industry association manuals? Or do you abide by the manufacturer's recommendation? And believe it or not, in most cases that I've been involved with, Okay, I mean, I'm just telling you from from experience. I'm not saying this is God's gospel truth. It boils down to what the manufacturer recommends. And the way they look at that is they base it on the manufacturer produces a product. The manufacturer tests this product. The manufacturer knows how the product's going to perform. So you go by their particular guidelines. And if you go by their guidelines, 
In this particular case, you know, with a shower wall, it was, you know, tape the board, waterproof it, you know, blah, 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 blah. So if you have to fall back on on any kind of standard or guideline, if you're being questioned, always refer back to the manufacturer's uh, directions, which is why I'm a big proponent of, uh, 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 I can't remember what the word is, we're all within one system. In other words, you know, if you're, you're setting the tile with uh, laticrete thin set, but then you're using Mapei grout, well, you end up with an issue there because, you know, Mapei is going to say one thing, laticrete is going to say one thing. And, and I'm just using those two as examples. I'm not picking on either one of those guys. So don't take that as a me picking on you guys. Uh, but if you use the same, co- if, the, if, the, if that company, in fact, makes all the products for that installation, use only that, only that company. Um, you know, you, you can mix them. Uh, I know companies, uh, you know, my dear friends out there at Noble will, will, will recommend, you know, certain uh, setting materials since they don't sell a setting material uh, with their membranes, et cetera. So, you know, definitely, you know, and then read, guys, you know, for you installers out there listening, you know, read the labels. I mean, you cannot believe some of the failures I see because things aren't read. They're using the wrong setting materials. They're not doing things that the manufacturing is recommending. I just looked at a, a big, large uh, porcelain, large format porcelain tile, which was a Schluter was set over a wood floor. Schluter does not recommend that. Uh, you know, read the, you know, first thing I would go to is, you know, other than common sense stuff that I know just from being in the industry for so long, is look at the manufacturer's recommendations. You know, they have them there for a reason. They're not there for fun. So, you know, actually take a look at them. And, and that can hold up in court. Now, it's not legal advice. I'm not alert, uh, an attorney. I'm an expert witness. And, of course, attorneys, you know, rely on me for this information. But, you know, there it is, you know, in black and white or full color, if you're looking on their website, um, It'll tell you this. This is how we recommend using this particular product, and uh, that's one way to get get around around that. All right, I'm going to wrap things up here with one last story, which is something that, in the 40 years that I have been in this industry, it's amazing sometimes some of the stuff I I, I come up with. And I did a recent inspection on a, again another pool deck that had these unusual failures. It was a um, a tile. I think it was a limestone. Yes, it was a limestone tile. And there were these what I call impact cracks. Now, if you don't know what an impact crack is, an impact crack usually results from impact, say, taking a a hammer or something that falls down uh, on the stone and it cracks it into like a a radial pattern. And again, we go into this in quite a lot of detail in my class. And I'm looking at this deck and the homeowner's there. It's It's a home. And I'm walking around the pool. And, and it just it just looked weird. I mean, it, it seemed to be random. It had no pattern to it. Uh, and usually with cracks, you know, there's, there's, there's something I uh, I study and I've actually done a couple articles on called crack dynamics that you can actually look at cracks and determine how they occurred based on their pattern. Uh, this one was kind of puzzling me. So one of the things I do is I put on my detective hat. And I start asking questions. And lo and behold, the owner takes me off to the side and says, well, we had a hurricane. And this is obviously you can guess where this was. Uh, we had a hurricane here a year or two ago. And the pool deck really didn't get didn't get damaged. You know, I had windows. I had roofing issues or whatever. So I took a hammer to the tile 
so the insurance company would replace the pool deck. And my my, my mouth about fell out, <laughs> dropped a mile. I can't believe this guy told me that. You know, here the builder has hired me to come determine why this tile is failing, and he wanted the builder or insurance company to pay for this. And the guy admits that he sabotaged his own tile in order to get insurance money. So uh, it, was, it was kind of interesting. I've never run into that before in my entire almost 40 years in this industry. So uh, it's kind of interesting. Well, folks, I think I'm going to wrap things up. It's uh, good to be back. Uh, I'm going to be doing some of uh, these podcasts a little bit more often. Uh, have some guests lined up uh, as well, so, some interesting guests. And I apologize to those guests that are out there that uh, – I haven't got to yet. I've just been busy, 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 busy. So, uh, you know, please keep in touch. Again, my email, F-U-S-T-O-N, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. If you want to sign up for my class, uh, the class uh, is still available. Uh, people are signing up, but I do limit them. You know, check out my website, stoneforensics.com. So, folks, thanks for listening. Until next time, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, and fabricating those tops. Later, my friends.